covering the latest in Toronto sports news, rumors, and predictions. This is the TSV Podcast. Here's your host, Connor Chambers. All right, welcome to episode three of the TSV Podcast. My name is Connor Chambers. You can check me out on Twitter at TO underscore sports views. You can also check us out on Instagram at TO underscore sports views. And you can also see the website torontosportsviews.com. With me today, I'm very honored to have Mike Bossetti of Raptors Rapture to talk everything and everything Toronto Raptors. Mike, how are you doing? I am good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm, I'm pretty excited. You know, Raptors finally clinched their sixth straight postseason berth. And that's going to kind of be the theme about today's podcast is... Uh, Raptors did a really good job in the last six years of building up a team, but they've always seemed to sort of fall apart in the postseason or when it matters or against LeBron, whatever. But LeBron's not in the East anymore. So playoffs should be really interesting this year. And there's a couple things that I wanted to get your opinions about when it comes to Toronto in the postseason. Because right now, regular season with the schedule is just kind of going to kind of be a coast towards the postseason. So I think Raptors fans should really turn their attention to there. And that's kind of where I want to go with this episode. So in saying that, what have you liked so far about this team in the regular season? Or is there anything that you don't like about this team in the regular season going into the playoffs? What do you, what are your general thoughts about the Raptors uh, with about 15 games left on the schedule? Is there anything that you want to see stay the same? Or is there anything that you want to have changed going into the postseason? I guess starting with a positive, the thing that, I've liked the most about this team is when it's right, it's really right. And this team certainly has a higher ceiling compared to last year's squad. When everything's clicking and when everybody's kind of on the same page, this team seems to run at a level that I've never seen a Raptors team run at before. Um, Mm -hmm. Things that obviously have been rough has been, that's been so few and far between that this team never seems to put together a full game, let alone kind of a full week of action. And it's been a lot of injuries and a lot of things like that. But at some point, you have to kind of get everything right and everything rolling before the playoffs. And Toronto's looked better as of late. I'm hopeful that they will smooth these things out in the kind of final 15 games. They'll use it as a dress rehearsal for the playoffs themselves. But the fact that this team has just kind of been a little bit up and down so far has been kind of the biggest concern. Yeah. That's really my biggest concern as well is, is almost like the consistency of the team, right? It's uh, you see something one week and you're like, oh my God, this team has it figured out. They're, they've got the pieces together. They're in a consistent space where they're good enough to keep this rolling and dominate the Eastern Conference and possibly the, the NBA Finals. But some something happens in the next week and you're like, wow, no, this team doesn't have it together and they're going to get swept by Milwaukee, right? It's like we're, we're swinging on one end of the pendulum and, and the other all the time. But that's really been the Toronto Raptors this season. If they can put it together consistently, which they've done a better job of over the last week or two, um, especially in the last couple of games, I know they played the Pelicans in the heat, so it's not top tier competition, but they're still, I mean, Pelicans not really, but the heat are, are, are a borderline playoff team and one that will still provide a, a tough fight up until the end of a game. It's it's nice to see the Raptors take control of a game like that all the way through. And that's almost what you hope that they'll do going into the playoffs. So for me, it's it's almost 
putting together the entire game, the four quarters, like you had alluded to. That was that was really my point. I know people have sort of talked about lineup management. Uh, and that's another question that I kind of want to ask you about because people have been clamoring to have Marcus Saul as the starting center and leave it be, have Serge Ibaka figure it out on the bench and see if he can gel with that unit. My question is uh, for you, because you might have a differing opinion. Would you rather see Serge Ibaka or Marcus Saul as your starting center? And do you mind the fact that they're switching back and forth? Or would you rather see one player stick it out in that position, in the starting center role for the rest of the regular season to gel with both the starters and the bench for the bench center? No, I, I like how Nurse is playing it by matchup. And I think this is something that teams should kind of do more often with their low-end starters and different positions is kind of play it based upon what matches up better. And I one thing that we saw in that Houston series is Marcus Gasol kind of got eviscerated by James Harden in the high pick and roll, and he has trouble hedging out there. I, I don't understand this kind of inflexibility that we're going to play our style and you have to adjust to that. I just, that's not realistic to me. And to me, you're better off having different players play against the teams that they're most comfortable with. So if that means Mark Gasol is starting against the Philadelphia Sixers to match up with Joel Embiid and Serge Ibaka is starting with Al Horford to, or starting against the Celtics to match up with Al Horford. I think that's how this team runs optimally as opposed to just starting Marcus all because you feel that it's necessary to impose your will on other teams. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's a really good point. Actually. I, I don't think, I don't actually think that there's a right or wrong answer because I've heard really good points for both sides of the argument. I always seem to flip fly. I, I, I was, of your mindset before and then a weekend I'm like no you need to establish a starting center so that they can gel and, and get chemistry but we've sort of seen over the last few weeks I think the starts have been either even for Serge Ibaka and Marcus Hall at the starting center or one has maybe one more than the other but it's very even between the two for splits at center and I think that both have done actually a pretty good job in the roles that they have been assigned to, whether it's starting that game or bench the other game minus Serge on the bench for a couple of games. But I think he's starting to figure out the bench unit and he still has the chemistry at the starting unit. I think I think that Gasol is building chemistry at the starting unit, but can play with the bench. So the fluidity, I, I don't necessarily mind it in those two, in that position between those two centers because their games they're I don't think that one is superior over another I think that they both excel in different things but again it's all based on matchups right it's it's all based on what you were saying who matches up better with Al Horford you're going to go with Serge Ibaka and then with Marcus Gasol you're going to want him to start against Joel Embiid and that just makes perfect sense that's that's definitely one of the things that has been a hot topic on Twitter. And, and I think that a lot of Raptors fans, you know, they, they, they clamor for Marcus all for more minutes and then he plays more minutes and they say that JV was better and that Marcus all needs to be traded. You know, like you can't, you can't win with, with Twitter, but. Um, and, and one of the things about him starting that I don't understand is they talk about, well, he needs to be, his passing is really needed in the starting unit and he can help facilitate to everyone. But it's it's almost like is that not valuable with the bench unit as well? And I I think it's even more valuable with the bench unit when you talk about players like Norman Powell, OG Ananobi. Those guys aren't really creators for themselves. Instead, they kind of feed off someone 
someone more talented passing them the ball. So using Marcus Gasol on the bench unit as a way to facilitate and run out of the high post, I think he has more offensive value there. And sure, depending on who you're matching up with defensively, I understand why you would want to start him sometimes. But this idea that his skill set is wasted on the bench unit, I just don't agree with. Very, very fair argument. But I think there, I think that there's a lot of people on uh, on social media that because of the fact that they look at it this way, they look at it because the Raptors and Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, they traded away Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon, right? They traded away these guys for Marcus Saul. So they assume now and knowing the name and knowing his pedigree that he's going to step into the starting lineup and that it's almost a given. Where, necess- where it might not necessarily, again, it hasn't been a given because the starts have been split between the two. Marcus Gasol, as a facilitator for that second unit, almost allows them to play more freely, like what you're saying. It allows guys like Norman Powell, players of that caliber, to get passes from Marcus Gasol because the pressure's coming towards him. He can feed on the wing. They have the open shot, whether it's a, a two or a three, whatever. Uh, they can make cuts and he'll find them. So that argument is is incredibly valid. Uh, and I don't really know where Nick Nurse is leaning. I know he said he wants to establish a starting center, but we haven't really seen it yet. And you only got about 10, 15 more games left in your regular season to, if you want to accomplish that, it has to be done now. So uh, I think these next few games are going to be very telling as to what direction he wants to go. And uh, I'm I'm willing to see either side of the argument. And if he wants to establish a starter, then that's fine. If he wants to be fluid, that's fine with me too. But yeah, I just wanted to one more thing quickly there is uh, they talked that we gave up, you know, JV and DeLon Wright, CJ Miles. So in my eyes, DeLon Wright and DeLon Wright almost was worth the price of getting off C.J. Miles' contract for next year. DeLon's probably wasn't coming back to this team regardless. If you kind of look at it, if they rebuild, then it doesn't really make sense to bring him back. He's 26, 27 years old, and if he's getting an inflated contract in free agency, I'm not sure if he really makes sense if Kawhi leaves. If Kawhi stays, the tax bill was going to be really hard for a player of DeLon Wright anyways. So to me... Mark really just has to play above a baseline of JV in order for the trade to be worth it. And if we gave up some monster package where we gave up a future first, or if we gave up OG Ananobi, I would surely understand fans clamoring for him to start more. However, considering you didn't give up that much, in my opinion, you really just have to be better than JV was, which I think he's kind of passed that test so far and especially kind of translating his game to the playoffs. Honestly, that's really what it comes down to, right? Um, it's JV versus Marcus All. That is it. And obviously, people look at the stats that JV's putting up in Memphis and they say, oh man, like he's playing so much better than Marcus All. But you have to understand the role he's in. He's like the number two option on a really bad Memphis team, right? Like those are the numbers that types of numbers that Marcus All was putting up. But he wasn't that type of of player for them. So again, like you like you know what I mean. Like like JV wasn't that type of player for Toronto when he was when he was here. He wasn't the number two option. Now he is in Memphis, and that's why his numbers are inflated. Well, and exactly. And this is March, where there's quite a few tanking teams, and a lot of the games don't matter. And I just this is a little bit of fool's gold to me. And those defensive limitations for JV were going to exist with Toronto, whether he was playing in the play or whether he was with Toronto or Memphis 
And for Memphis, it doesn't really matter seeing as the path that they're on. But for Toronto and a team of this caliber, I don't think you could have expected that kind of production from JVH. I know you couldn't have expected that kind of production. It was kind of unreasonable to expect that. And I I think that Margasol's role with the Raptors and his skill set just uh, scales a little bit better for them. You look at what JV brings to the Raptors, and and it's it was good. But I think that Marcus Gasol, as a bet, as a player, you, you're trying to win this year in in the short term window. I think that Marcus Gasol was the better option. But I think I think we both agree on that. It's just uh, you know now we'll see how well I was going to say how Masai chooses to use him, but how Nick Nurse chooses to utilize him in the coaching staff. But if we keep going in that, we'll be on that topic for for an, an hour because you can talk about that for so long. But uh, I want to sort of take a look at now, now that I've been boasting about the playoffs for the last 15 minutes, I, I want to now really dive into the playoffs. Number two seed is where the Raptors are currently right now. Two games back in Milwaukee for first. They have a pretty sizable gap uh, from third, which is currently held by the Philadelphia 76ers. The Pacers slipped to fourth after they lost the 76ers and the Celtics round out the top five. Is the number two seed a lock for the Raptors or do you see them maybe catching Milwaukee? Right. So they're two games back of Milwaukee right now. And so to be clear, Milwaukee has played 67 games, gives them 15 remaining. They're two games up on Toronto right now, but they also hold the tiebreak over Toronto, which is really kind of a big deal in this situation. So it essentially makes Toronto needs to cover up three games with only 15 remaining Milwaukee games. I just, I'm not sure if Milwaukee will even lose three more games the rest of the season. So yeah. that puts Toronto in a really tough position. If Milwaukee went something like ten and fifteen or ten and five, which seems unlikely given their record right now, Toronto would still have to go thirteen and two in that scenario. So to me, it's going to be a tough haul for Toronto to catch them in that regard. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't see We've always debated uh, whenever I, I have or whenever I'm on the South of the Six podcast, Adam Corsair, we do a roundtable and we make predictions on the regular season records and what we thought they'd be. And I've always been constant that Toronto is going to win 60 games this year. So at this point to do that, they don't, they'd have to they can only lose three more games. I don't think that if if Toronto has a record of 13 and three the rest of the week, so I think they got 16 more games remaining. They go 13 and three the rest of the way. That that puts them at 60 wins. I don't think that Milwaukee is losing five games or six games because Milwaukee has the tiebreaker over Toronto. I don't think that they're going to lose five to six games this season going forward. That I just don't think that that gap is attainable. So I think that Milwaukee's got the first seed locked up, and I don't see Toronto slipping down to the third seed unless. The 76ers have a run like they did last year, which is very possible with that team, but you, you never know. I, just, I don't see it happening. I think that number two seed is a lock. Um, it could be beneficial for Toronto. Again, it all depends on where teams end up after the regular season. Uh, I think that the Pacers are going to drop off. I think they will be a fifth seed by the time the playoffs are done because they have a pretty tough schedule. And their record against five teams that have an above five hundred record, they have they have a record against those teams of below five hundred, and that's mainly what their schedule is com- coming up. Right. So their schedule coming up is absolutely brutal, and you know they're four and six in their last ten. It's 
you know, the pumpkin might have already turned here on Cinderella. It it feels rough for Indiana. They lost Victor Oladipo, obviously. And for a while, it feels like you can anecdotally pick yourself up as a team and kind of play through Sabonis and play through Turner and scrap a couple victories. But as you get, you know, game 15, game 20 without your best player offensively, it just becomes a chore to try to generate offense. And you don't have that guy you can just kind of throw it to when you really need a bucket. So I agree with you there for Indiana. It's going to be really tough. Even if Philadelphia went undefeated, the Raptors would have to lose seven more games in order to get caught. So Mm -hmm. it feels like they're going to be a lock as a two seed. To me, it will be interesting. Perhaps even Boston catches Philly here for the number three seed. And if I'm Toronto, I'm not sure if I want to play Philly or Boston right now. It's, I think that Toronto has had Philly's number so far this season, and I think the 76ers have a little more raw talent when you talk about Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. But Toronto seems to be a little bit better of a matchup for Philadelphia, and in the postseason, as you know, it's all about matchups. And Toronto right now, I think they're better off just hoping for the 76ers to hold on to that three seed and let Milwaukee and Boston face each other on the other side of the bracket. I, I think that that's the best possible outcome for Toronto. I, I I think I would rather play Philly than Boston. Almost kind of what the point that you were alluding to where, where they've had Philly's number most of the year. But again, they have a true big four now with Tobias Harris added to that lineup. Uh, and you have JJ Redick, who's a really solid fifth guy in that rotation, right? Like a guy who's going to hit threes and has basically held up their three-point percentage all year. If it weren't for him, I, I think that they would be really low in the three-point percentage especially if all the pressure is on one of those four guys someone's probably going to forget about jj reddick and you really can't if that guy is sitting there at the three-point line wide open he's most likely going to hit it i still i still think i i would still rather face philly over boston if, if indiana ends up in a fourth or a fifth seed i don't see them making it out of the first round so that's why i haven't even put them as as an option for the second round if for some reason they end up in the third seed and we face them then I, i'm still very confident in the raptors to beat them the only real team that scares me in the east and i, I don't even know if i'm necessarily scared by them is the bucks i thought that and, and it might be it might have been my bias just by watching the games that i've watched from the bucks that they would have a higher three point percentage but when you take a look at the Eastern Conference playoff teams with a better three-point percentage than Toronto, Toronto's currently tied for 13th in the league in three-point percentage. There's Philly's tied for 8th, Boston is 6th, Indiana's 4th, Miami's tied for 10th, and Orlando is 12th. Uh, I know Miami and Orlando are kind of borderline. I'm still putting them in there because they have a realistic shot. Uh, the Bucks actually have a worse three-point percentage team percentage than the Raptors. They're tied for 16th which surprised me. I thought that they would have a better three-point percentage as a team than the Raptors, but the Raptors have been shooting the ball well lately, which is what gives me confidence against the Bucs. Is there any team in the East, like you can, like the Bucs, obviously you can throw in, that you would say is the biggest threat for the Raptors to knock them out of the, out of the playoffs and not reach the NBA Finals? Uh, I'd like to just push back a little bit on the threes. Uh, you're right, and and obviously I'm not saying your numbers are wrong in terms of three-point percentage from the Bucks, but they do make more than one-and-a-half three-pointers a game compared to Toronto. So if you just look at three-point makes, they 
Yeah, they averaged 13.4 as opposed to Toronto's 11.8. And although their percentage isn't as good, I think they're a more lethal team as far as getting that many attempts up as a skill set by itself. And naturally, when you shoot a little bit more, you're going to shoot worse. So to me, I'd rather shoot 13.4 out of 38 than I would 11.8 out of 33.4. Just because I think those additional makes are worth the 0.01% and three-point percentage. And you and you, and you can you can generate longer rebounds, right? For for a potential offensive rebound, right? It it generates itself exactly. And one of the things where I actually see Milwaukee kind of having a weakness is they play this very conventional deep drop in the pick and roll where Brooke Lopez hangs around the rim, and their whole strategy has been we'll give jumpers up and we're just going to stop the rim at all cost, and that has worked for them in the regular season. I think as teams kind of game plan at it and have the opportunity to attack it a little bit more in depth, they'll be a little more successful in attacking that particular style. To me, it's a, I wouldn't say it's gimmicky, but it's, it's very, you know, limited in the way that you can use it and you can't kind of do different things. And if you're going to stay as a deep drop pick and roll team, it opens you up for kind of a big night from an opponent in the pick and roll. So that's something where I think Toronto will have some advantage against Milwaukee. As far as one team that, that frightens me, I guess I would have to go Bucks right now. However, I really think between Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, it's kind of a crapshoot. And I know Boston's not playing well right now, and they've had their struggles throughout the season. It's been up and down, a lot of te- team chemistry problems. But they have a lot of guys that, you know, Draymond Green said that there's 16 game players and there's 82 game players. To me, Al Horford's a 16 game player. He's always played better in the playoffs than he has in the regular season. Kyrie Irving is the definition of a 16 game player, somebody who can score when things really get congested. And Boston, yeah, they've had their struggles throughout the season, but I I think they're on the same tier as those other four teams. And Philly has a top end talent. To me, it's it's kind of a crapshoot. I put Toronto ahead of all those teams, maybe just because I watch them more. But I, I don't see a great deal of separation between the other three contenders in the East. Yeah, I think that this is definitely the most interesting. Even I would even say West and East, right? Like the, the Golden State Warriors have sort of dominated the West for the last few years, and LeBron James has dominated the East for the last eight years. So it's really interesting now to see a parody in a sense where you're going to have four teams, top four teams in a conference and you look at them and you're, and you say, I wouldn't be surprised if any one of these teams makes it to the NBA finals. And we haven't had that in a while. I think it's really good for the league, regardless of the conference to have them watching the playoffs and know that the result isn't guaranteed where it's going to be golden state versus LeBron or, or you know what I mean? Or like, uh, like, like LeBron versus somebody I think that it's really good for an emerging sport like basketball where it's really gaining momentum. These playoffs are going to be really exciting. They're going to be one where people are really going to enjoy watching because the games are going to be close. They're going to be fierce. They're going to be intense, especially a Philly Boston series. If that ever happens, if for some whatever reason they match up together in a series, I would love to see that because I think that those two teams really hate each other. And that rivalry is real and it's there. And that's one that I hope to see. But um, Bucks and Raptors have a pretty heated thing going on too. So those are those are 
series that I hope to see. Will we necessarily see them? Who knows? It all depends on brackets and seedings. And but I don't think any of the other five to eight seeds in the East are gonna upset or beat one of the Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, or 76ers. I just don't see it happening. Is there any potential upset that you might see in the East or even the West, I guess, at this point? No, not really, as far as at least in terms of the East. In the West, I'm a little more open just because I think the teams at the bottom of the Western Conference playoffs are better than the teams at the bottom of the East. It's something, obviously, for selfish reasons. I was hoping that the Toronto Raptors would end up in the 2 seed by themselves on that side of the bracket. However, I will say, if you're the NBA, this works out much better in terms of this Eastern Conference semifinals is going to be absolutely awesome to watch. When you've got four teams like that who could legitimately all get out of the East, and really this this playoff has a ton of offseason implications on if the Celtics don't do well, maybe Kyrie leaves, and if the Raptors don't leave or do well, Kawhi is almost certainly gone, and it has a lot of impact not only on this season, but also when you look forward at the rest of the league, you know, that Eastern Conference semifinals is going to mean more than it has in years. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think this is the most important conference finals that I that in recent memory, right, in, in either conference. Um, you, you could argue and say that maybe when OKC had Westbrook, uh, Durant, and Harden, with Ibaka, that that, that might have been important because of the fact that people knew that they might have quote-unquote trouble keeping them together, which they really shouldn't have. But I think that with looking at the matchups in the East and the West, like looking from the Golden State Warriors record, the LA Clippers are the eighth seed, and they're seven and a half games back, right? If you look in the East, the 76ers are the three seed, and they're eight games back in Milwaukee. So there's there's a lot of parity in the West. Uh, I don't see any of the teams upsetting one another either in the West, but it the matchups in the first round in the West will be more interesting. And I would I really think that the matchups in the Eastern semifinals are going to captivate people, even though the Eastern quarterfinals or whatever you want to call it, the, the first round of the playoffs, I don't think that they'll be as enticing as the West. So I think it kind of flip flops a little bit, but. I could, since we're talking about the West, um, I kind of want to move there because the Raptors or whoever makes it out of the East is going to have to face somebody in the West for the NBA Finals until they change a playoff format. That's the way it goes. Do you see anybody dethroning the Golden State Warriors? Uh, I know, I know, you had a really interesting tweet about a potential team in the West, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you describe that since it's your tweet. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to steal it. I don't want to source it out and everything. You know, I'm kind of lazy in that regard, but I'll let you describe it and give the percentage chances or, or chances that you think that this team or another team could upset the Warriors in the West. So to start, I don't, I don't really see a team upsetting the Warriors in the West. I know they've kind of struggled as of late and integrating boogie hasn't been as smooth as everybody hoped, but it's March and we're in game, you know, 60, whatever of the season. And I'm just not worried about them as a team. And I think they can kind of hit that switch whenever they need to. With that being said, if I did have to pick a team, I'm not sure why anyone would pick someone besides the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are the only team that's given this Warriors team since the addition of Kevin Durant, a real run for their money. They went to seven games with the Warriors last season. They brought back pretty much the exact same squad with the exception of Trevor Reza and Luke and Ba Mute. 
but they bring back nearly everyone. They're the three seed in the West right now, despite having injuries all throughout the year. And Chris Paul looked like a shell of himself early on, but now looks like the old Chris Paul again. Clint Capello was hurt throughout the year. And I just, I'm not sure why we're overthinking this train. Maybe the Thunder are the best team or the Nuggets. When we've seen the Rockets play that switching style, which has given the Warriors some fits throughout the year. And to me, we've seen them give the Warriors a run for their money unlike anyone else. And until I see someone else really play the Warriors tough, they're my favorite to upset them right now. Yeah, and I don't think that anyone's going to sit there and argue you on on that. You know, I think that that's just smart, even though people might want to see a Cinderella, quote unquote, Cinderella team beat them. I know that there's a lot of people last year that thought if Chris Paul stayed healthy, the Houston Rockets had a very legitimate chance of beating the Golden State Warriors. Myself included, actually, I think that uh, Chris Paul's health was really detrimental or, or lack of health was detrimental to Houston's chances of upsetting the Golden State Warriors. Chris Paul and Kyle Lowry, to me, are really parallel this year in terms of their games where they've looked like shells of their former selves at the beginning of the year. And by game 60, whatever in the in the regular season, they're like vets, right? They found a way to shake off the rust, do what they need to do, uh, put injuries aside, get healthy and look like they're ready to take control in the playoffs. And I know we've seen, you know, things with Kyle Lowry where we think that, you know, he's going to be great and doesn't necessarily contribute well in the playoffs. I know he's had better games than DeMar DeRozan, but again, that's a whole nother topic and conversation. But if Chris Paul maintains the way he's playing, James Harden is playing at a level where I saw a stat. He could go, he could sit out the rest of the year of zero points or just not score for the rest of the year of zero points in 42 minutes per game and still end up with the most points per game out of anybody in the NBA. He would finish with the highest points per game out of anyone in the NBA. That is a stat that boggles my mind. And I really don't see how anybody thinks that this guy can't be MVP this year. I think that he is the lock MVP again. Yeah. So with that said, right? Like with that's with all that said, I think that Houston is the team to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you as far as the MVP talk. To me, it's close. I, I would probably lean Harden, but I understand the case for Giannis, and the Bucks have been a great team in that regard, and he plays both sides of the ball. But the thing with James Harden is people got upset that he was playing this kind of iso ball style, but what else did you want them to do when Chris Paul and Clint Capella were out of the lineup? Were we really like clamoring for more Austin Rivers pick and rolls? Like I don't understand what the critics were upset about in regard to that. And he's the most efficient isolation scorer in the game and is doing it at crazy high levels. He's unbelievable. And when he's hitting shots like that, and we've seen his struggles in the playoffs kind of more than anyone else that we've mentioned here. And when he's hitting shots like that, he at least gives the Rockets a puncher's chance of stealing a game or two that they shouldn't have won if it wasn't for anyone else but James Harden on their roster. I mean, even look at the game where the the Raptors played the Rockets. Like James Harden had an off night; he wasn't really doing well, and he ends up with like thirty five points still, right? Like that. Like you look and you said, "How the hell this guy scored thirty five points?" And even at that, you think, "Wow, we contained James Harden." Like it's it's that type of narrative for that player, where 
it's it's something that's out of like a video game, right? Where someone puts up 40 points per game and you're like, oh, bro, you're playing on rookie, man. Like play on Hall of Fame. Like, all, you know what I mean? Like people make fun of that. You know, like it's video game numbers. And then someone does it in real life. And now it's in the flesh, right? I, I understand the case for Giannis as MVP. I really do. I, I get that. And I think that you could have made that case that he was a that he was quote unquote a lock maybe um two months ago. But the way that James Harden's really carried this team from like twelfth in the West to third through all those injuries, I don't think that there's really another argument besides Giannis for James Harden to be MVP again this year. And and, and I think that he'll get it. So you you say you say Warriors out of the West. I say Warriors out of the West. The Nuggets to me, I know that they're the two seed. I just don't. I just don't think that they really match up well against Golden State. Golden State kind of exposed them the other night. Nikola Jokic is an unbelievable player. Jamal Murray's on the up and up. I just I just don't really believe in this team yet because I haven't seen it with them. Maybe if maybe if they push a team, a good team, to a seven-game series, I might have more faith in them next year. But as of this year, I just don't have any faith. I don't know what your perspective would be on the Nuggets because they're the only team that's ahead of the Rockets right now. As I mentioned with... Milwaukee in that deep drop style I just I have trouble believing Nikola Jokic in a playoff series isn't going to get taken advantage of by good perimeter offense and that's something that we see in the playoffs the centers who are plotters sometimes get played off the floor and we even saw last year in the Houston Utah series Rudy Gobert got played off the court and if Rudy Gobert can't stand the court I have a hard time believing that Nikola Jokic is going to stand the floor and I know his his defensive metrics are better than you would think. And he kind of gets by by just being a big body and being very smart down there. But I really have trepidations about him as a center when the games matter the most. As far as just defensively, I think he's a fantastic player. And, you know, maybe next year around this time, they've worked with his footwork. They've gotten Michael Porter Jr. to help kind of clean up some stuff for him on the back end. But at this time, I just don't see it for them defensively and the ability to kind of get a stops consistently on possession by possession. And that's almost where I'm at too with them. Uh, again, I, I just, I, I don't, I want to believe in them. Like I, I want to believe in a new team and like in a young team up and coming, but I just, I don't yet. Maybe I will, maybe I can be persuaded, but maybe Isaiah Thomas comes off the bench and scores 50 and puts up like a vintage Celtics performance. I, I don't know, but the way that, this team is sort of lately from what I've seen personally, again, I don't watch Nuggets games often. Like I'm not here saying that I'm a Nuggets expert, but from what I've seen, I just don't believe in them, especially defensively, like what you were saying to really hold up against potent offenses like a Houston or Golden State. I think Jok- uh, I think that uh, Jokic will get run off the court as well. I, I just don't think that he's at that level yet to stay on the court and make the impact on both floor on both sides of the floor. So uh, with that being said, I don't, I don't see Denver as a serious threat. And if it ends up being a Houston Denver second round series, I don't see Denver. I don't see Denver even pushing that to seven. I think that Houston would take that in six. And I think that Capella would, would actually shut down Jokic very well. I don't know if, I don't know if you agree, but that's, that's what I would say in that situation. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of been a matchup nightmare for them with Houston. I think Houston is the worst matchup for them. So it's possible that Houston kind of loses in the first round, depending on their matchup right now, they're matched up with the jab jazz. I don't think that's a for sure. Gimme win. If for some reason, the thunder trailblazers fell into that six seed, 
I also don't think that the Rockets are guaranteed to get out of there. But if they do happen to face the Nuggets, I just think that's a tough magic, uh, matchup for Denver. As far as anyone who's got kind of an elite shooting guard who needs to be hedged out on, it's going to be tough for Denver. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm a year late on this team as far as them proving it in the playoffs. But right now, I think that their team is built more for the regular season than it is the postseason. Yeah, and that's that's where I am too. So if if I, I if I'm gonna live on this sword, I'm gonna die by this sword, right? And uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I can repost this and I can say, hey, look, listen, both me and Mike were wrong. So don't just come at me on Twitter, okay? You can come to Mike too, man. Like, like relax with the hate guys, okay? But now that we're talking about, we've talked about the East, we've talked about the West. I kind of want to bridge that together obviously in the NBA finals like I said team in the east plays a team in the west we both agree that the Warriors are going to come out of the west Toronto bias aside or you can even say Toronto obviously your pick in the east if the playoffs were to start today the matchups are as you see it brackets are constructed as they are right now who is your pick out of the east to face the Golden State Warriors in the NBA finals so perhaps it is due to my bias, but right now I would pick the Raptors as the favorite to get out of the East, but not the most probable outcome. So the way I would define it is I think the Toronto Raptors have the highest chance of any team, but I still don't think that's even a 50% chance. If I had to break it down, I'd probably say something similar to like 40 for Toronto, 30 for Milwaukee, 15 and 15 Boston, Philadelphia. So to me, it's all kind of a really close battle there between the teams. I think Toronto has the best chance of any of them, but seeing as that there's four teams battling for that top spot, I still don't think the best of that is very high. And I'm, it might again, might be my Toronto bias too, but I've been pretty adamant wherever I've done podcasts, whether it's here or appeared on other podcast platforms, that I still think it's the Toronto Raptors to come out of the East. As currently constructed right now, I, I would I would take them in a series where they they would play Detroit first. Uh, sorry, Brooklyn Nets first round, right? That's where they, that's who they would play. Yeah, Brooklyn Nets first round. I would take that. I, I like Brooklyn Nets story. I think that it's a nice story that they've they've come from literal ashes of shit into this team that's that's made the playoffs with with barely any of their own draft picks. They they've done a good job with finding these you know, hidden gems and grabbing a guy in D'Angelo Russell to show that Magic Johnson has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> um, it's, they've done they've done a good job there. I just don't think that, again, that that team's really going to challenge the Raptors or they would either challenge the Bucks or the 76ers or the Celtics. They're not at that tier yet. When it comes to the second round, I would like the Toronto Raptors in a matchup against the 76ers. I said I even think that it would go to five games, but six is probably a more realistic number. And then a matchup with the Bucks, I could definitely see going to seven. Uh, in that case, it would be a little bit harder for the Raptors to win on the road, but I still think that they can get it done. In an NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors, though, I just, I don't, I don't see the Raptors winning. But if you can get to an NBA Finals, it would be really good for convincing one Mr. Kawhi Leonard to forego his desire to go back to the nice warm land of Los Angeles and to stay with his purple can to goose jacket in Toronto. So uh, I don't know. Your, I don't know your thoughts. And I don't know if you think that the Warriors are basically a lock to win the M- NBA finals once again, but I will leave that up to you and let you tell the viewers what you think. 
Well, I think that the Warriors would be a heavy favorite against the Raptors, and obviously that's not a controversial statement, and and I would pick the Warriors, but my thought is always just get there and then you see what happens. You don't know if Steph Curry slips on a puddle and sprains his knee, and you don't hope for injuries, but injuries do happen. You don't know if Draymond Green goes on another nut-punching tirade and gets suspended for a couple games. Like, <laughs> just no one expected the Cavaliers team to win, and maybe just because it happened then doesn't mean it will happen for you. But my thought has always been you just get to the finals and then you see what happens. And weird stuff happens in sports all the time. We didn't expect the Patriots to lose to the Giants in the Super Bowl when they were undefeated, and that's single elimination. So I know it's different, but my thought is always we – we think these things are a lot more certain than they ever are. And the fact that, you know, the Detroit Pistons beat the Kobe led Lakers and just sports are much more unpredictable than what we like to kind of portray them as, as we like to think we know what's going on, but really it's more of a crapshoot than we give it credit for. And once you get to the NBA finals, that crapshoot can work in your favor if you're the underdog. So that's what Toronto should be hoping for is just get there and hopefully something lucky happens. Absolutely. You know, it's it, it's as much of skill as you have to have lady luck on your side, right? I mean, you have to have some things bounce your way. I mean, look, the, the Golden State Warriors won their first title. No Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Love against LeBron James. That was very fortunate for them. Uh, again, when Cleveland won their title against Golden State, they got very lucky with with having to they, they come coming back from three one deficit is not something that had been done. They did it and they did it in, in a grand fashion. That's a is is there skill involved? Absolutely, the players are on the court, um, but there is a little bit of luck involved in that. It, it's it, it is a factor. And it's not something that we can measure. It's not a metric. It's not a stat. It's it's not something that we can quantify. It's just there and we kind of know that it's there, but it's a factor and it's it's important. And luck has to be on the side of whatever team breaks out of the East this year because the East, like we've said so many times in this episode, is more competitive than it's ever been in at least the last decade, right? Like there's, I, I can't even think of recent memory how, how competitive it's been uh, since LeBron has left. So... I think that uh, the Raptors should be proud if they make it to the NBA Finals. If they lose, well, guess what? It's one of the most stacked teams of all time. And it's a good metric for Kawhi Leonard to take a look and say, well, this team has gotten there. If if Golden State loses Kevin Durant and if Boogie Cousins goes somewhere, that team is beatable and Pascal Siakam is developing. And I like, I like how Kyle Lowry passes me the ball all the time. And that could be a factor in keeping him to stay in what could be something to build on. So like, I agree with you, just get there, see what happens. The chips will fall where they may. If it doesn't bounce in your favor, it's the first finals appearance for the Raptors. So you, you would need just, just getting there, I think, is a win for them this season because of the fact that Golden State is such a historically tough team. Any other point to wrap up on the playoffs or the Raptors or something that we kind of powered through and you just didn't have a, a second to, to talk about it? It's anything that you want to wrap up about what we've said. Uh, the floor is yours on that. So go ahead. No, nothing really that we've said. I think I've pretty much gotten everything out there. The one thing that I guess I would just point out to people is Nick Nurse gets a lot of fire for his rotations and at times I'm also one who gets upset when they run an all 
five-man bench unit out there because I don't think it makes much sense. But but one thing that I will say on behalf is, of nurses, if you're an NBA coach, you're not coaching to win the game as much as you're coaching to improve your team over 82-game season. So while the lineups may not be optimizing for the current game, I think in many times he's trying to see different units and see how different players play together to kind of pair in the postseason. And this is all, you know, the NBA for all it is, is just one long preseason before the playoffs. And perhaps I'm wrong and maybe I'm giving too much faith to a guy who's never done it before. But I would think that a lot of the rotation problems that people are so upset about are really just nurse kind of playing the bigger picture and kind of setting this team up and getting different data points to use for future reference. I completely agree. Amen. <laughs> you know, uh, that's, uh, that, that's really well said. Um, again, it's, it's almost like what Kawhi said, you know, the right, re- the regular season is just practice. Playoffs are what matter. Playoffs. Like we don't, we don't talk about last year. We don't talk about how the Raptors almost had 60 wins and how they were the first seed in the East, because at the end of the day, they got swept by a four seed. So what is it? You know, it doesn't matter. All it matters is having home court. That's what you play the regular season for. If you're, if you know you're going to be a playoff team, if, if not, then you're playing for the playoffs, but it's the, the regular season for these top tier teams is just practice. And Nick nurse gets a lot of flack online from, from people on Twitter, from people on, on social media accounts, because of his rotations or, or lack of a rotation where he's he's stubborn and keeps a bench unit out there. I agree. I like to see them stagger a starter or two with bench players at all times. At least have one starter, whether it's a Lowry or Siakam or Leonard, whoever. Danny Green even, I guess. But I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference if you have Danny Green. But Nick Nurse, for being a first-year coach, is this is what we have to remember. He's a first-year coach. He's done an unbelievable job, in my opinion, this team might get to say they, they, they will probably get to 60 wins this year. This guy's a first year head coach. Granted, he has a great team, but he's a first year head coach. That's not, it's not something to just brush off. His team his players seem to respect him a lot. Kawhi, we we've heard nothing but positive things from Kawhi about Nick nurse. So everyone just take a breather. Enjoy it. See what Nick nurse does in the playoffs. If he, if he fucks up somehow and he does something stupid, then, then go at him. But, you know, he's got to learn too. And the regular season is no better time to learn because by, by the time the playoffs come, hopefully he's got some of the mistakes out of the system that he needs to get out. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's some national people saying he should deserve some coach of the year buzz. I, I wouldn't agree with that necessarily. But I also don't think he's done a bad job. I think he's done a pretty good job considering the circumstances and consider the injuries and just – unreliableness unreliability of this team with Kawhi Leonard in and out and Kyle Lowry banged up he's had a tough coaching job a tougher job than most people would give him credit for and while I don't think he's been perfect in any regard I do think that he kind of gets dragged a little bit unnecessarily and if you weren't happy you aren't happy with nurse maybe you just don't have great expectations for what a coach is supposed to do all these, all these armchair coaches, right? It's like armchair GMs, <laughs> armchair coaches. Well, you know, I would have done this. That's why the guy gets paid, and this is why you don't. Yeah, exactly. right. Like it's, it's that simple. That's that's what it really comes down to. So I again completely agree, Nick Nurse. You've done a good job this year. If you're listening to this for some whatever goddamn reason, <laughs> keep it up. Thumbs up. You know, if he is listening, I think I would be a little bit more worried. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> probably yeah if if you're if you're listening man i mean I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like some of the comments but hopefully you do that's gonna do it for this episode of the tsv podcast mike this is your time to shine uh you can promote anything and everything mike bossetti raptors rapture whatever you got going on this is your time to do it so i will ha- i will leave you with the floor here go for it uh, I would just say make sure to check out our website, Raptors Rapture, coming up with Chris Bosch's retirement. We're starting next Tuesday, Chris Bosch Week, with every different day we'll have a different article kind of remembering either a different time in Chris Bosch's career with the Raptors or remembering the 06-07 season, which he was the, kind of the leader of in that playoff team. So that's coming up for us. A lot of great articles coming up kind of in the dead period that they have with the Raptors with games spaced out. So. Just make sure to check out the site. We also have a podcast at Raptors Rapture. Um, but yeah, just check out the website. Yeah, uh, and that, that that will be actually. It's really interesting that you that you did that for that you're doing that for the whole week. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of good content. Something that I'm gonna look forward to. Something that I'm gonna push on my social medias as well. So if you're not following Mike or if you're not following Raptors Rapture on Twitter. Don't worry, I am, and I'm going to make sure that you see it so that you can go ahead and you can follow. You can send both both accounts a follow. They're both great follows, both great quality content. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you very much, Mike, for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was it was really appreciated, and hopefully sometime down the road, uh, whether it's in playoffs or end of season, whatever, we can do this again. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy to come on whenever. Thanks for listening. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at TO underscore sports views. You can also listen to our previous podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and more. Don't forget to leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the content and click that subscribe button. See you next time.